Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 278 of the Fun With Cars, Formula One, and other motorsports podcast, or episode 12 of 2021. I'm Robin Warner, and today I'm joined by the man that promised himself a glass of wine today for every lap Lewis Hamilton led, Christopher Rose. Hey, Chris. Hey, Robin, and uh, you're drinking a gin and tonic for every lap that uh, Max led, I presume. <laughs> That's right. And we're both going to get healthy. We're going to be it's going to be a good healthy day, I think. It is Sunday evening, March 28th. Chris and I are going to talk about the season opener of the 2021 Formula 1 World Championship. That's right. It happened. We are talking Grand Prix racing or Grand Prix racing or god no, I said that wrong too. Grand Prix racing. And my goodness, I do not know how to talk. I'm clearly farther into those gin and tonics than I thought. F1. Um, it may be easier in your state. Fwan. <laughs> I think we'll just, because it's the Fwan. Uh, Formula One did not disappoint. Chris, where shall we start? Uh, it was an epic race. It's back, and it looks like it's going to be a cracker this season. We had a, a real, a real tussle for the win, and uh, it was a nail-biter all the way to the flag. Can, can I actually start and say sincerely hats off to Bahrain uh you know great three days of testing and fantastic races in 2020 and here we go again 2021 another set of fantastic races I don't know what they did but they did something I mean maybe they're just lucky that the cards have developed in the way that it has last couple years but one way or the other Bahrain has turned into a fantastic destination for racing for us well, I think the triple DRS zone probably helps a little bit, right? I mean, when did they oh, introduce... certainly doesn't hurt. Yeah, when did they introduce the third one? Because I, I started to lose count how many DRS zones there were <laughs> at one point. Um, well, but yeah, I think, th- is it true that there's only there's still only the one detection zone uh, going in, going uh, on the short straight, going on to the main straight? But then there's uh, coming out uh, is the main straight, and then coming out of turn one is the second one, and then I think it's coming out of uh, turn nine, the short shoot there, there's a third one. I think there's got to be more than one detection zone, but I, I don't definitively know where they are. But but I think you're right. The first two DRS zones probably link to the one detection zone, but I think there has to be a second one for the, the back straight. But, okay, uh, fair but, enough. But yeah, I mean, it, it certainly allowed overtaking, and, and there were some great battles throughout the field. So, um, I mean, I think, why don't we just talk about the race? Because that's really what I want to talk about, honestly. Well, and uh, let's let's give ourselves a quick kudos for not having three Grand Prix to talk about at once here. <laughs> <laughs> right. It actually happened earlier today. Yes, exactly right. I guess I suppose it is Monday morning in Bahrain now, but uh hey, whatever. I mean, it it was it was a great race, green flag to checkered, and it was a chaotic start. In fact, it was a pretty darn chaotic pre-start for Sergio Perez who had a stall uh, just leading on the formation lap and couldn't get it running for a little while, but eventually did do so, but as a result had to start from the pit lane. Well, there's a fascinating rumor that actually Albon was in the car all weekend and Perez is on the beach somewhere <laughs> because that was a very Albon-esque performance throughout the weekend, don't you think? I mean, qualifying out in, uh, in Q2, uh, then problems on the way to the grid, and, and I mean, a decent performance in the race to get uh, fifth place eventually but uh, but it was very similar to the performance we've seen 
by the second driver at a Red Bull for the last two seasons, I thought. Yeah, no, there was definitely some deja vu going on at the end. But let's let's be fair to Sergio Perez. Uh, you know, so he qualified 11th, and in Q2, Max Verstappen qualified 7th, and they were less than four-tenths apart from each other. And the reason for that was they, they wanted to qualify on the medium tyre. So there were cars around them on the softs, uh, that were able to outperform them in that second stint. But then they obviously had uh, the advantage of being able to start on the better tyre. But yeah, I mean, to me, it was clear. So the reason why I say it was deja vu was Perez, on his first run in Q2, uh, exceeded track limits. So his time was immediately deleted. And yes. yet Red Bull persisted on trying to get him to qualify on the medium tyre when it was obvious that he was, you know, struggling he had one, one lap left to, to try and make it into Q3. They sent him back out in the mediums and he failed to do it. And uh, as you pointed out, Max didn't have that much margin. Um, so, uh, you know, it was the same sort of thing we saw a lot last year of Albon, exceeding track limits, having times deleted, putting yourself under pressure and then not being able to, to you know, come up with the goods when it mattered. Uh, you know, Perez has got to cut that out. If he wants to hang on to that seat and make a, a good fist of it this year and, and beyond... He's got to start thinking for himself, putting in the banker laps, getting into Q3 and then trying to get on the second, you know, first or second row of the grid. Yeah, no, th those are fair points. But I I think we've already seen some deltas between Sergio Perez and Alex Albon. First of all, Perez started from pit lane, which is worse than starting 20th in many regards, and did still go on to finish fifth in the race, which was a pretty darn strong result especially considering that we have what looks to be a much pacier McLaren and a pretty darn decent Ferrari, at least in the hands of Leclerc, to compete with. So, And obviously that's in addition to Mercedes and his teammates. So I think that for an opening Grand Prix, considering all the things that built up to the actual green flag, I think that Perez put in a performance that Albon would be a little bit envious of, to be frank. Um, I think I, I won't discount what you said there, but remember that there was a safety car almost immediately uh, because of Mazapan's uh, shunt into the wall. And so that allowed, that reduced some of the penalty from Perez's pit lane start. And then also uh, he then went immediately onto, into, onto the right rubber. Um, he changed, he did a very early pit stop. So, um, you know, he was on an alternative strategy. And so we've seen plenty of drives through the field from Albon as well. So I'm not sure I'm convinced. What we need Perez to be doing consistently is putting the car on the grid where it belongs and racing from that position. I think we've seen enough drive from the back of the field races over the last two years. We need to see the Red Bulls both where they belong at the, at the sharp end of the grid and starting from there. Yeah, no, that's fair. I, I'm certainly not trying to discount what you were saying i think that you and i are just a couple of degrees uh, apart from each other on this one and as per usual i'm more sympathetic to uh perez uh, or to whatever driver and of course to honda than you are <laughs> but but what what i really liked about the weekend was so much has changed and yet so much is the same i mean we had vettel getting penalized and qualifying for uh for, for uh, going too hard on the yellows. And then, yeah, uh, so instead of starting 18th, <laughs> he starts 20th. <laughs> yeah, and then having a nice little shunt during the race and trying to blame yeah. it on the other driver when he was completely... <laughs> it was completely his fault, yeah. yeah. So but it's but like... The opening talk... laps of the race, Vettel showed real 
performance real yeah. poise, I thought. But then, yeah, it did not end. It was not a full Grand Prix distance of that kind of driving. Well, he had a lovely little battle with Alonso at one point, and I thought and it was really fun. That was around lap 2021, and uh, I was enjoying that, but then it sort of fell apart from him later on. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, um, there, was a lot, there was a lot of good stuff. I, I mean, if we just want to touch on the... Well, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead, please. I mean, just from the from highlights from qualifying really quick. I mean, I think, you know, we talked, it was surprising who went out in Q1. Um, with uh, uh, yes. we, we we lost uh, Ocon and we lost Vettel as we mentioned and and the yellow flag of Mazepan spinning and this was the one of the funniest things I heard of the weekend because I know you're not a fan of Mazepan but he's already got the nickname Amazing Spin. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not an anti fan of uh, Mazepan. I just. I'm just oh. nervous about what so results he, we're going to see from him. So you, he demonstrated that he perfectly belonged in the top 20 racing drivers in the world, did he, over the weekend? <laughs> yeah, he, he, I think, I think in, in some regards, yes, uh, in, in, in the sense that he was there. He had his <laughs> racing suit on and everything. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I will say, though, that it was fascinating to me that Mazepan had that spin early on, wrecks the car, first one out of the race. But then just a few laps later, Mick Schumacher did something awfully similar. Mm-hmm. And so then that starts to look like, well, okay, so how nervous is the Haas rear end? Yeah, I mean, it's clearly the case that the Haas isn't a good car. And they already said they were focused on next year, but they've started 21 with a pretty, you know, poor performing car because it's clear that Ferrari have made a step forward with a power unit because Ferrari and Alfa Romeo were a lot stronger in this opening race than they were, you know, most of, through most of 2020. But the Haas has now seems to have fallen off the back of back of the field. I mean, they seem to be comfortably slower than Williams. And you've got two rookies in the car, right? And and they both seem to be struggling. I mean, from the rookie comparison, Yuki Tsunoda absolutely shone all weekend. I mean, he he, he was flying and he, he did great in the race and, in, and, and mostly through qualifying. So, you know, if you want to compare the performance of the three, he stood out for me. No argument there. Absolutely. So, no, I mean, he was the one that was talked about. He was the one that was dicing it up with some veterans and doing uh, a mighty fine job doing it. Uh, I agree. But with the Haas car, not only is it slow, they've already said that we are not developing this car pretty much at all. <laughs> and, and so its performance compared to the others is only going to degrade, which is interesting to hear when you know you have if everything goes to plan, 22 more Grand Prix, <laughs> 22 more to um, defend with a car that will not be developed with yeah, two the, rookies. The rumors One of been... whom, by the way, he sounds like he's 12. I mean, come on. He sounds so young, Mick Schumacher. Oh, get off that his... horse. You talked about that last time. Come on. I'm going to – I heard him again. I was like, how can you not hear that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the FI are thinking of introducing a newly calibrated sundial to measure the has lap times, but it does pose a problem <laughs> at the night races. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the the great thing about Saturday though was was obviously the battle for pole position uh, and Red Bull confirming that they, you know, they certainly went into into the weekend with the fastest car. Uh, Max delivered in Q three comfortably, you know, almost four tenths ahead of Hamilton and. Uh, arguably it should have been more because he damaged the car in Q1 going over the curbs that they reckon cost him about a tenth of a second. So the gap between uh, Max and the Mercedes looked quite ominous. 
Um, and then it looked really close behind the top three um, between the Ferrari, uh, the McLaren and the Alpha Tauri um, with, with uh, uh, Alonso in the Alpine and Stroll in the uh, Aston Martin sort of nipping at their heels. And it just it looked like it was going to be, you know, a really interesting race. And, and sure enough, uh, but the expectation was that obviously Red Bull looked like they had the most pace. And, and so I was honestly expecting at the start for, for Max to disappear. And it didn't happen. I was quite surprised. It was fascinating to see how race pace developed compared to qualifying pace. But it, the other side of that was Q1 and Q2, Mercedes and Red Bull were very, very close to each other. So I wonder how much of that was Verstappen just nailed that quali lap compared to a Hamilton and Botas and how much of that was pure pace of the Red Bull versus pure pace of the Mercedes? Yeah, there was, I mean, there's been a lot of discussion about, obviously, the reg changes. Uh, Aston Martin have been particularly vocal, uh, saying that they think the, the changes to the floor have favoured the high-rate cars versus the low-rate cars to the tune of one second. Jeez. They, yeah, that's a pretty, if that's anywhere near being on the mark, that is pretty significant. So obviously the high rate cars are the Red Bull, the Alpha Tauris, to some extent the Ferraris of the world, and the low rate cars are the Mercedes and obviously the Aston Martins of the world. So and then you've got a, a sort of a, a few sort of straddling between the two philosophies. Um, and so you can see why, you know, on average, Mercedes were half a second quicker than Red Bull uh, last year. And that certainly seems to be now based on certainly one qualifying result, almost flipped to half a second deficit, give or take a tenth. So, um, uh, you know, I do, I, I do agree with you. I don't know if Hamilton really nailed his second qualifying run because his sector two time was down on his, uh, certainly down from what he'd been achieving. Um, yeah. And uh, Botas only had one run because he'd used up too many sets prior to, to Q3. But, uh, but Botas seemed to be a, a little bit off Hamilton's pace, let alone uh, Max's. So you could certainly see Aston Martin had lost some pace relative to the rest of the midfield. Um, and uh, so maybe there is some truth to that. But I think, uh, you know, they had a, Aston Martin had a tough weekend and they were complaining about the regulations to anyone who cared to listen. Yeah, no, Otmar was uh, quite vocal uh, during this guy sports coverage about uh, the high rake versus the low rake cars and who got penalized how much. Uh, he mentioned that multiple times, uh, which was fascinating to me to hear that play out. I, it, I was also, I was struck by, not surprised, but struck by the difference between Alonzo and Esteban Ocon. Just amazing to me. You know, Alonzo will be 40 this year. He is not yet, but he is showing just how much pure driving pace, how strong of a driver he still is, just how easy he cleans up against his teammate in uh, in a brand new car after being out of the sport for two years. I, I was duly impressed with Alonso. Again, not surprised, but hats off to his performance. And yeah, such I, a shame that he had to leave early. Yeah, I mean, I agree, because Alpine looks like a little bit like has. They they may, may have lost a little bit of pace relative to the rest of the field over the winter because um, it didn't look very clever early on in qualifying and Alonso dragged that into into Q3 and uh, managed to beat Stroll. So 
um, and he was he was certainly feisty through the first half of the race and uh, seemed to be relishing being back and, and it was great to have him have him back in Formula One for sure yeah I think so I mean the, the opening laps were fun obviously we had the we had the multiple has spins and crashes um, but we had some great battles I mean the McLaren battle because Daniel Ricciardo managed to out qualify uh, his his teammate Lando Norris uh, by, by two one hundreds. Yeah, it was it was tight, but he still got got him, which would have irritated Lando. And Lando was a man on a mission from the start of the race. I mean, <laughs> for the first like four or five corners, they were side to side, and uh, you know he then went on and passed uh, Charles Leclerc and uh, and uh, Gasly uh, to get up into into fourth fairly early on, and then held that position fairly comfortably actually so really really strong effort by by lando and, and mclaren in general but it looks like we have a mclaren ferrari battle uh brewing here this season which will be fun so i thought gasly had lost his front wing and that's how lando got around him did that did i remember incorrectly did gasly had already been passed by lando and had just been passed by daniel and he lost his wing on on the back back tire of Dan, daniel ricardo's ah uh, okay all right, yeah. fair enough. Yeah, and what did you think? I, you know, let's let's touch on that. The Alpha Tauri does look promising, especially in the hands of Pierre Gasly. Um, do you think that you know it was just unlucky because after that front wing damage, it was changed out, but he didn't seem to ever really recover from there, and he ended up finishing you know well out of the points in seventeenth. Uh, Oh no! I think the Alpha Tauri looks good. I mean, at the one of the highlights of Q one was uh, Yuki Tsunoda's <laughs> second. Uh, he was second fastest um, and flying. And then he seemed to have a problem in Q two. Uh, I think on the medium tires, he wasn't able to emulate Gasly's performance. But he had a strong race. I mean, he he got a little overshadowed by what was going on at the front of the field. But he actually pit Lance Stroll on the last lap to take ninth. So Sonoda was able to, to come to come up and, and beat some of the other midfield runners. Yeah, Gasly retired, didn't he? So maybe he had a more than just front wing damage. Maybe something else went on with the car. But certainly Sonoda's pace as a rookie, uh, able to, to score a couple of points, bodes well, I think, for AlphaTauri. Absolutely. So um, I want to touch on one more thing. So we talked about Sergio Perez a little bit, Albon comparisons and everything. Botas... You know, I, I've, I'm, I'm curious about him because he showed real frustration um, in his podium interview, and yet I felt like, boy, this is the same record playing again, and it, I don't know if uh, if he can't pick himself up if if he's got much more time in the Mercedes car. To be frank, not that he's not a fantastic driver, but to be compared to Hamilton and with guys like George Russell very eager in the waiting in the wings I have a hard time seeing if Botas can maintain his seat if he keeps this level of performance because he was nowhere near nowhere near Verstappen and Hamilton and they really wanted him and needed him to be uh be there to to back up Hamilton in a lot of circumstances yeah I think this question marks about his his overall performance. I mean, he was a little unlucky in the race where they messed up his, his pit stop, his second pit stop, which cost him about 10 seconds, uh, which basically meant it was just a straight fight between Lewis and Max at the front and, and Botas couldn't really affect uh, Verstappen's pit strategy. 
but I, I I agree with you. I think I think the issue is is that you know through part of last year um, and to some degree 2019, you know it was a private Mercedes battle really, wasn't it most of the time? And so Hamilton did probably just enough to beat Bottas more often than not, um, but the gaps look quite fine. But I think when there's an outside threat, especially one of the magnitude of Max, Lewis is able to find another level. And he's able to extract more performance from him in the car. And you could see that over the whole weekend. And Bottas can't live with it. That's my conclusion. I mean, we'll have to see over more races. But that's sort of the sense I have. Yeah, no, that that's fair. Um, I do. I, I obviously I want to talk about Hamilton v Verstappen here. And I think I think we should spend a fair amount of time on that. But I do want to touch on a couple other points before we get into that. Uh, what did you think of Daniel Ricardo's performance in the McLaren? I mean, Lando, just as you said, was absolutely on fire and did really, really well to finish fourth. But Daniel Ricardo was seventh and awfully feisty. No, I think you've got to give all the drivers that have either switched teams or are new to Formula One some credit, right? It does, with that limited amount of preseason testing, um, it is very challenging to get completely comfortable in a new environment, new car, different handling characteristics and, and all the different systems. Um, and so to out-qualify your teammate is, is no mean feat. And I think he should get credit for that. And clearly you could see Lando still had the edge on him on race pace. And I expect that will probably close up as, as we get further into the season here. But no, I think it was a strong effort by Daniel, for sure. And I thought, uh, actually, Carlos Sainz didn't have a, a bad weekend either. I mean, he wasn't... Ah, you read my mind. <laughs> yeah. He didn't, you know, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't able to out-qualify Charles, but he certainly, he brought the Ferrari certainly closer to, to Charles's pace and, and improved on where Vettel was in that car last year. I agree. And I thought that Carlos showed uh, just... He showed himself in the Ferrari and showed that this is what Ferrari needed so badly. So they have, excuse me, so they have the firebrand that is Charles Leclerc, and then they have uh, this, you know, kind of like under the radar, super consistent, but pretty darn fast almost all the time, Carlos signs. So. Leclerc ends up finishing six. He has some battles with some real top runners. You know, he's flirting with the podium at a couple of times. But Carlos Sainz does not ever back down. It ends up putting the Ferrari in the points in eighth place. And I think Ferrari is going to benefit in the Constructors' Championship greatly with a driver with the mentality of Carlos Sainz behind that second car as opposed to Vettel, who was, you know, obviously the entire season angry that he wasn't the lead driver. So to have someone of Carlos Sainz's ability and consistency, I think is going to pay big dividends for Ferrari. And to me, it felt like that Carlos was still definitely in the car uh, for Ferrari. Yeah, I think he had a reasonably good debut um, for Ferrari. And I'm sure we'll see him get stronger um, as the season progresses. I think if you remember from last year, Lando had the edge on him for the first couple of races, but then it was very tight between them. And Carlos is no pushover, and he, he's very strong mentally, and he just keeps uh, he keeps hammering away at trying to find that extra last bit of performance. And I'm sure he'll do the same this season. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, I've said it multiple times, but it's worth reminding that Carlos gave Verstappen a very hard time as a teammate. Absolutely. At, uh, whatever that the team's name was back then. <laughs> the Toro Rosso team <laughs> right. before uh, Verstappen uh, moved up. 
But real quick, I just want to point out that Kimi Raikkonen proves that uh, 41 is not too old to be racing Formula One cars. Uh, you know, just outside of the points, finishing ahead of his teammate in 11th. Uh, just as you said earlier, the Alfa Romeo shows decent promise as a team that the Ferrari power, the power plant has taken a step forward. And uh, I hope to see Raikkonen feisty and in the points sometimes. Yeah, I thought Giovinazzi had a pretty good weekend, actually. He qualified very well. Um, and, and by a reasonable yeah, yeah, margin. Yeah, yeah, well, whatever, Giovinazzi, whatever. But Kimi Raikkonen is older <laughs> than me, and he did really well. <laughs> that is the point. Yeah, yeah Kimi, Kimi finished ahead of him in the race, so there you go, 11th. I, I mean, so looked I at one point, they were going to get points. Is the point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Out, that's the point. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they, they were a little unlucky not to score points, weren't they? They got uh, Sonoda pipped them and then uh, Stroll was able was strong enough to hold them off so but yeah it looks promising for Alfa Romeo and, and uh, Sauber as they're secretly called last quick point I want to make uh, what did you think of Williams there was a point uh, where this happened again where George Russell was flirting with the points he was in 10th uh, during certain parts of this Grand Prix and the Williams looks reasonable it you know he was out in Q2 again as he had been sometimes last year but the car looks like it could you know, be a threat to the mid-pack at times. Yeah, it looks like Williams have made some progress, but it, it doesn't look like enough. It's not going to get them into the midfield battle, and I think point scoring is still going to be a challenging for them. Russell had used up three sets of soft tyres getting into Q2, so he didn't have any left for the Q2 battle. That's why his time was, was so poor. That was a bit of a mirage when we saw him in 10th place because of the pit stop strategy playing out, and uh, he was maybe elevated... Um, temporarily uh and you know those 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 cars were able to resume their, their rightful places fairly easily but i think that the good news is is that williams do seem to be on an upward trajectory and if they can they continue to make good uh additions to the engineering team uh, and to the team itself and invest in it and continue to develop the car hopefully you know they'll have something good for next season but i think it's going to be a slog to score any points this year okay verstappen v hamilton mm. uh, just you know, we were given quite the taste of what could be a frankly epic Formula One season if this Grand Prix was indeed an indicator of what the season will be. I, I mean, it was just it was incredible to watch them race. Yeah, it was a it was an it was an amazing battle from start to finish. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, from the beginning, Max wasn't able to pull out a, a bigger gap than two seconds or so which is typically the following car doesn't want to be closer than that anyway because it damages the tires so much so it looked like Hamilton was able to to manage his pace and, and keep Max in sight and so as soon as that got established you could tell we were going to have an interesting race and then they were both running quite different strategies uh, with Lewis lapping as early as lap 14 and switching pitting, to hard tires. Pitting that early. Sorry what did I say? You were saying <laughs> lapping. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Pitting. I'm sorry, on, you on said. You said Hulkenberg. <laughs> yes, he pitted <laughs> on lap fourteen as opposed to lapped on pitted fourteen. So, um, yeah, and, and so we then had we had them running, you know, a, a few laps apart on their pit strategy, and so then they were leapfrogging each other, and then you you couldn't quite tell who was going to get the advantage out of it, uh, and then after the final stops, we had Max you know, with a, what was it, about eight seconds when he came out from his last stop. It was well, 8.7. 8.7. Yeah, close to 10, yeah. Yeah, and, and yet he was he was absolutely demolishing that gap. 
and it looked like he would probably catch Lewis in you know one of the 40 odd laps but uh, it actually took him to lap 51 to catch Hamilton who had uh, had quite a big lockup um, and had to run wide and, and lost quite a lot of time on that particular lap and so yeah. Max was right behind him and at that point it looked like it was Max's race to lose didn't it? Yeah, well, and, you know, it was interesting because it did seem like, because, you know, the the deltas in time, like, you know, in the first few laps, Verstappen was taking a second plus per lap out of the gap. But as the laps progressed, that did slow down a bit, and Hamilton was able to respond. And I do think that Hamilton also gained, uh, he Hamilton got a little bit lucky with lapped cars passing, and he got some toe from some of the lapped cars and able to pass there. And maybe Hamilton was a little bit strategic about where he caught them. I don't know how much I'm not trying to, uh, I'm not trying to dissect that too much, but uh, so there was that strategy. And I do also think that Verstappen's tires fell off a little bit because he was pushing them a little bit harder than ideal, perhaps. But yeah, it looked pretty inevitable, but then it was really fascinating. Verstappen, did catch Hamilton, did get around him, but went off course to do it. And how that move, really, the fact that Verstappen passed him off course is ultimately what gave Hamilton the race win because that led to a chain of results that Verstappen couldn't overcome. Yeah, so Max mentioned that Lewis had actually been a little bit affected by backmarkers, which gave him the opportunity to make the run at him on lap 53 and the funny thing was obviously as you mentioned he ran wide and he ran wide at a corner where him and Hamilton have both been running wide routinely earlier in the race because it's just the faster line until until Michael Massey said no no guys you need to stay within the track limits or we're going to start penalizing you so then they both tightened their line but as you said Max used the wider line uh, to make the pass uh, went off track and so um, Massey actually got onto Red Bull uh, and advised them to tell Max to give the position back, which Max did uh, to his credit. And I think he assumed that he would have another opportunity. But after he let Matt, uh, Lewis back into the lead, he seemed to have quite a big moment and, and he never seemed to have the same pace again. So I have two questions about that. First is Verstappen afterwards was saying, why didn't you just let me stay in front and take the five second penalty? I would have cleared five seconds. That seems a bit opportunistic on Verstappen's part. Do you think that was really the the case, that maybe Red Bull should have just let him go and let him go for it? First of all. Second of all, um, the other part of it is Verstappen, did he give the lead back in the best possible place for himself? It seemed like there were those were two moments where maturity... Uh, the lack of maturity that Verstappen has was shown in the sense that had he returned the lead in possibly a more opportunistic part for him would have been better. And his mentality that he could have just pulled five seconds, just let him take the penalty was also showing a little bit over exuberance. Well, so so first of all, I, I thought the battle between them was was fantastic and what i want to see i don't want to see a dirty fight you know championship i want to see two great races going at it and you know one day one will win and the other day another one will win and and with clean passes and good clean racing and what i liked about max's uh responses even though you know as you said he probably wanted to just stay in front and try and build the gap 
he did what he was told. He gave the position back to Lewis, and he believed he could get the he could get the win anyway. And and so I think that was actually you know in the heat of battle to be able to wrestle with your own conflicts and and make that decision. I think says a lot about his character. There's certainly many drivers in the past. Michael Schumacher, I think, would be the obvious name I would bring up, who would definitely never have given the position, who would have just stayed out front and then argued it in the stewards with the stewards after the race. And I think sure. the, the only pe- person who really, the only people who lose in that situation are the fans because you basically get cheated out of, out of, out of the battle. And I don't want to see races being handed over after the flag's fallen. I want to see them, you know, battled out on track. And then we agree that that person's the winner. So I think, I honestly think what Max did was the right thing to do. Uh, I think it was a little unfortunate he wasn't able, I mean, with so few laps left, he didn't have many more opportunities. And he just ran out of time. But I think I liked what he did, honestly. And I think that bodes well for a great season of racing. But he looked absolutely devastated afterwards because you could see that in his mind, he's thinking, you know, there's not often we've had a better car over Mercedes the last few years. And when we did, we didn't we didn't maximize the result. And so he certainly looked gutted. But I think there's a lot of credit to him and Red Bull for what they did. Yeah, no, and and I agree with you. I, I think that and I when I say you know, lack of maturity. I just, you know, he's grown quite a lot and he's in a position where in many regards he shows superior driving ability, both mentally and physically. And uh, so I don't mean that as a a demerit towards Verstappen, but it does seem to me with hindsight, you could see a couple of opportunities. Like, let's say, you know, he absolutely did the right thing, clean race, but what if he had waited just a couple more corners and given the lead back at the beginning of a straightaway and then had Hamilton's toe to get right up uh, against his rear wing at the end of the straightaway and put real pressure on right away. Those those little, little tricks that I think Lewis has learned over his several years racing, those are the types of things that I'm getting at. I mean, Max was asked about that post-race and, and he felt that the fair place to to give the lead back to Hamilton was where he gave it to him uh, and he couldn't wait until the end of the lap um, which was really would have been the next opportunity and then potentially you know uh, the stewards might have taken a dim view of handing handing back the lead only to retake it immediately because you haven't really done it in the right manner that could have led to maybe a penalty that could have cost him second place so maybe he sort of has a mind of the big picture here that okay he didn't get the win but 18 points is a pretty good start to the season and if he can, uh, you know, be competitive and win races, then he'll be in with a fight with the championship. So, uh, you know, I think that shows actually maybe more maturity, potentially. But uh, what I, what does the overriding sense I get is that both of them want to win fairly, uh, and and they want to win the right way, and they don't want to use some of the dirty tricks that have been used in the past to win. And, and some drivers have certainly displayed, you know a side of their character under under extreme duress where they'll resort literally to anything to take the win and i'm pleased to see that these two don't don't appear to be of that mold yeah no i i think that's completely fair and absolutely right and i'm with you i i i applaud it i mean the racing was really intense and wonderful i was not quite literally at the edge of my seat because i was in this really comfortable corner position in my couch (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that I quite liked and plan on using more often. But I was emotionally at the edge of my seat and definitely, definitely 
eager uh, to see what was going on, very focused on it, and and really enjoyed that level of professional, that level of just ability on display uh, between those two was just an absolute treat. I do wonder how you feel about the team strategies. How do you feel Mercedes played strategy versus Red Bull? Red Bull has the history of being the clever ones that have that take risks and do some really interesting strategy moves. But at first, it seems like Mercedes was quite bold with strategy decisions here. I think it's just a role reversal, isn't it? I think when you have the lead, you tend to be a bit more conservative in your strategy. And so often Red Bull you know, were, were on for a comfortable podium. And they had such a gap to, to the cars behind them that they could roll the dice without really risking anything. And I think Mercedes felt uh, somewhat in a similar position. And they, they were very aggressive on their on their pit stops. And, and they had uh, Red Bull thinking that they might do a three-stopper. In fact, both drivers... Well, no, sorry, I correct that. Uh, Hamilton only did a two-stopper. Bottas did do a three-stopper. But but that uh, Well, kept and them- Botas... I'm sorry to interject, but Botas's third stop was to get soft tires and go for fastest lap of the race which he did achieve that's true yeah but he had the the gap on the he fourth place the driver yeah. yeah to be able to do that so um I, I mean so of course one thing that was evident was that red bull clearly had an advantage in the pit lane their stops were still about a second quicker than mercedes and that could be quite key as we go on through the season uh, they Absolutely. are have routinely the quickest pit stops where the race was probably lost for max um was his it took him longer to close the gap down than maybe they were expecting. I think they thought they would have more laps to, mm. to make the pass. You sure. know, and and, and uh, Hamilton's pace on, on the hard tyres, uh, even with what was probably 10 laps older or something like that to, to Max's, they were expecting the, you know, the, to drop off quicker than they did. And so um, Hamilton's ability to, to manage the tyres and, and get the maximum pace out of them over the stint is, is quite a strength of his. It proved key to, to the win. But ultimately, I mean, it's such fine margins, isn't it? I mean, as you said, the back markers played a bit of a role. Um, the nature of the circuit and Max, with a little bit more luck, may have got the win today. Um, and so that, that's what's so exciting about it. They look so evenly matched over the over the full race distance that it, that it should be. Should, we should, hopefully, uh, you know, if this if this level of performance between the two chassis is is a, it bodes well or is typical of how they'll perform on other types of track, then it should be tight. I mean, the one thing I will say is that Red Bull seem to have a massive advantage in sector two which is yes. mostly the, the slower, yes. medium-speed corners. And that should have Mercedes keeping, you know, sweating a lot and working very hard to try and close that gap because they will not uh, be able to keep Max uh, at bay without finding more performance from the Mercedes yes. over those types yeah. of corners. Yeah. yeah, no, that's a very good point. So uh, this is a fun thing I want to try. I, we'll see if this is uh, something worth doing uh, over the season. But... I would love to hear who, in your opinion, was the best Grand Prix driver of the weekend and who was the worst Grand Prix driver of the weekend. (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, Amazing Spin was definitely the worst. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) So I don't have to. We agree there that that we 100 percent agree there. Um, I was I was quite amused at the, the the poll that was going on with the top three drivers, and that Lewis didn't even make the top three, which I thought was quite uh, harsh. And Perez was way up there. Um, I, I don't know. I well, probably, Perez I, won. 
Perez was driver of the day. Yeah, absurd. Anyway, um, <laughs> especially as, especially it was Albon in the car, but uh, <laughs> it was Alex know. Perez, or was it, or was it Sergio Albon? <laughs> it was uh, one of those two. I uh, I don't know. I mean, I think Lando Norris had a fantastic weekend. Honestly, my God, shit. Well, gosh, you and I. That's who I was going to say. But yeah. it's hard. It's still hard to overlook the top two, isn't it? I mean, both. I mean, Max. You know, Max. Max had an epic weekend um, and came up against a really good driver. Who would have thought a seven-time world champion is a pretty good driver, right? I mean. <laughs> All those people who, who discounted Lewis for just having the best car may have may have to start to reevaluate their their opinions. Well, I think part of the problem is is that there is just a presumption of greatness, uh, but between those two, partially because they're in quick cars, and partially be, there, it's just like driving above your expectations, as opposed to purely objectively speaking, who was the best driver? Because if you say who was the best driver, well, God, Verstappen and Hamilton were driving amazing races. But when you think about, well, who really exceeded expectations? And it's hard to disassociate these things. I mean, Lando Norris performed really, really well. And uh, so I think it's fair. I think it's fair to a certain extent to just accept that that's human nature and say, yeah, Lando was brilliant, better than we thought he'd be. Yeah, but I mean, I will, as I mentioned earlier, I thought Sonoda had a great debut. I mean, he made some great overtakes. Uh, Brundle was commenting on how smooth he looked uh, as, as he was making some of the passes. Um, you know, he wasn't far b- uh, behind Gasly in terms of outright pace. And we know that Gasly in the right car is pretty quick. I mean, Gasly was, was fifth on the on the grid. Um, yeah. So that, that's I mean, an impressive Gasly, debut. Gasly... At the end of Saturday, Gasly may very well have been the person I'd, I'd said uh, for those reasons. Yeah. But, uh, so, yeah, no, Sonoto was quite strong. Yeah, rookie rookie of the weekend, Sonoto. Hands yeah, down. and, he, and he's, um, he's the other end of the spectrum from your mate Raikkonen. I mean, what, what, what's his age? He's 19, well, ooh, isn't he? Or and I'm glad you said that because that's actually – so um, it was actually – it was brought up during the Grand Prix and my mother, who is a math professor – well, retired math professor – made this point because my mom listens to the podcast just like any loving mother would. Um, <laughs> hi, mom. Uh, she's like, she said, Sonoda was not born in the 21st century. 21st century did not start until 2001. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, Sonoda, Sonoda was born, uh, born in the 2000s. His birth date does not start with a 19, but uh, he was not in um in in objective in the actual sense he was not born in the 21st century so to that end we don't have any drivers that were born in the 21st century yet i do not believe so to your point that mick schumacher sounds young have you seen sonoda out of the car (laughs) (laughs) looks like someone who should be working a checkout somewhere you know (laughs) so we just had this epic epic amazing race and now we have to wait three weeks for the next one i'm also nervous about how good of a race it's going to be yeah i think if you're if you're a red bull engineer you're going to be a bit nervous because they had a big advantage in the in the, in the uh, preseason test uh, and they clearly seem to have a, a pace advantage uh, certainly on one lap pace over mercedes this weekend and yet they still didn't win 
And you can bet your bottom dollar that Mercedes are going to be developing at a furious rate to, to get, you know, hopefully on level terms from their perspective. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I agree. That's quite a big gap. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a track that you really can't pass at. So whoever gets pole position there should be should be converting that to a win uh, or things being equal with a good, decent pit strategy. So that so, yeah. said, the, mm-hmm. there is one um, there is one, I think, silver lining to all of what you said, which is a lot of this track, the track we're going to in Italy looks a lot like sector two of Bahrain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the other thing is is that Red Bull have demonstrated over the last few seasons that they and Christian Horner's been saying this. They typically start the season, you know, relatively slowly, and they build and develop. And and by the end of the season, you know, they were normally pretty competitive. So they've started this year a lot better than they have the last few. And so if they can continue to to uh, achieve a good rate of development on the on the chassis, then there's no reason why they shouldn't be competitive or even have a pace advantage for for the coming races so yeah yeah absolutely i, I think yeah. i think the other the other slightly worrying aspect is how far honda's pushed the boat out to to achieve the performance level clearly the honda is is very powerful it's, it's it looks like it's right up there in terms of performance with the mercedes now but they had to change a couple of power unit components on perez's car before the race uh, precautionary a change um, which didn't help really his pre, pre-race uh, preparation and then of course he had the, the electrical glitch as you mentioned yeah. so if Honda are going to have a boatload of power unit issues through the year that's really going to hurt them um, so let's hope not only is it is it competitive in terms of performance but it's also reliable yeah you know, uh, I think that's a really good point to make uh, as this is again we have to always have the caveat that it's it's an if because we don't know how this pandemic's going to play out of course but uh if we get all 23 grand prix uh that means that there's a whole lot of races for those power units to survive yet so uh that that's a really good point to make but, uh, but you, you just reminded me of a great uh, Murray Walkerism, uh, and there's a lovely, <laughs> lovely tribute to him before the Grand Prix. Yes, uh, Martin Brundle did a great job with that. But uh, Murray used to like to say that Formula One spelled backwards was if. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's a great way to end. Well, um, I want to uh, say a couple things before we close out. Uh, first of all. Chris and I are going to work really hard to bring uh, podcasts after each and every Grand Prix, and we're going to try to work hard to uh, be diligent about bringing them soon after the race, um, which uh, was something that definitely fell off in 2020. Uh, If you enjoy this podcast, please, please, please tell your friends and have them tell their friends and so on and so forth and uh, help us out that way. Also, uh, please, 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 another set of pleases, go to my YouTube channel. That is youtube.com slash C slash Robin Warner, where um, I'm doing a lot of work on uh, just a lot of car views and some other stuff here and there, but mainly car views. And my latest was on a Volvo XC60 T8 Polestar Engineered. And that car really was something. I mean, it was not what you'd expect. When you think Volvo and when you then know that T8s are plug-in hybrids and then you see what this car is... It really, it was a surprise. But for now, I want to thank you for listening. 
Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get our podcasts. Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com. Tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars. And check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fwcars. Chris, it's Sunday and we recorded a podcast. Wow, well done us. Thanks, well done, us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye. <laughs>